Welcome to the Truth Wars podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We wanted to let you know that Olin's first book, What to Do with Worry, is now available on Audible. You can also purchase physical copies where Christian books are sold. Now, here's Olin. If you have a Bible, open up to Psalm chapter 131. Psalm 131. And we're going to look at an example of how not to worry. But let me pray for us while we turn there. Father, please hear our prayers. Lord, we all come before you as weak and needy people. And Lord, you know the weaknesses uh, in our heart. Lord, the sin struggles, the temptations, the cracks in our foundations better than we even do ourselves. Lord, you understand us. You know us better than we understand and know ourselves. And so... We invite you to come near, Father, as the true surgeon of souls. And would you minister to us this morning from your word to be growing us up, establishing us in our faith, making us into the men and women uh, that you want us to be. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, Psalm 131 is written by David. We're not 100% sure when it was written. Uh, It was most likely written when he was being persecuted uh, by... King Saul on the run as a criminal. If it wasn't written then and it was written later, it was almost certainly written in light of his experiences back then. And so uh, it's a very short psalm. It's very interesting, but it's one that has helped me a lot in life. So here will be an Old Testament example of somebody that had plenty of temptations to worry and yet didn't worry, Okay, at least not in this situation. And as I read it, I want you to just think about this in your own mind. What is the biggest area right now in your life where you're the most tempted to worry. And if you're like, you know what? I'm not really struggling with anxiety right now. I have at other times. Okay, think back to the the last most recent time where you really felt overwhelmed with some situation about worry or anxiety. Think about that situation as we read this psalm. So Psalm 131, starting verse 1. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Okay, so this is a great picture of peace, serenity, contentment, even in the middle of terrible circumstances. We, We see three things about David. He's humble, he's happy, he's hopeful, and we'll kind of walk through that. So, verse 1. There's a lot of different ways that you can be proud, and we talked about this last week. Worry is a way that you can be proud. And so part of what David is saying here is, Lord, I'm not proud, at least in this situation. I'm not being proud. My eyes aren't raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great or too marvelous for me. At some level, he's saying, I'm not trying to think and act above my pay grade, God. And so many times, and we we, think mentioned this last week in the Q&A discussion time at the end, So many times what leads us into a place of worry is when we are trying to be responsible for things that we're not supposed to be responsible for. We're getting out of our lane. I mean, essentially God says to us, hey, you be faithful for your obedience. I'll handle the results. But when we get concerned, like, no, 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 God, I'm going to do my best to be faithful with my obedience, but I really would like to control the end result. And especially I'd like to control the timing and exactly how it turns out and all these kind of details. That's where you will eventually worry because you're trying to control something you can't control. Even if you want to, you can't do it. Now, again, think about 
either the suffering, the hardship, maybe that you're going through now, or if you're not really going through anything right now, the most recent one that you can remember going through, there tends to be, in my experience, and, I, and I've tried this before in groups, and it always works out the same, so we'll see if it works today. There tends to be, when you're in a place of suffering or hardship, and you're really tempted to worry about something, there tends to be two main questions that we tend to ask during those times of hardship. What do you think those two main questions are? Why? Why? Okay, that's a, why is this happening to me? Right? I'm a good person. I'm a nice person. I haven't done anything to deserve this. It's why. Okay? And then what will be the other one? How? Okay, how? Sometimes how am I going to get out of it? How's it going to come to an end? When's it going to stop? How long? When's it going to stop? Okay? That, those tend to be the two, at least I see in my own heart, and as I'm talking to other people, it's like, God, why is this happening to me? And, I mean, I was meeting with a college guy just this last week who had some really, really hard stuff in his past, and he just said, I know you don't know, but I just want to ask you, why do you think God let all this happen to me? Why? Right? I and mean, that's just, we wrestle with it. And then also, it's like when we're in the middle of it, it's like, hey, Lord, when? When, when will it be over? How long am I going to have to suffer? No. Listen, it's not wrong to ask those questions. It's not wrong. Keep your finger here in Psalm 131 and flip back to 1 Samuel chapter 26. 1 Samuel chapter 26. You know, there were multiple times where David and some of his mighty men were on the run and Saul was chasing them. There were a couple of times where circumstantially he had a very easy opportunity to kill King Saul and just the whole thing could have been over. But David was such a man of integrity, he was like, I won't take matters into my own hands. But sometimes his kind of right-hand man were like, hey, let me kill him for you. I'll be happy. His blood can be on my hands and you can come out of this thing innocent. But David won't never do it. And look at what he did one time. This is 1 Samuel 26, verse 10. He had a chance to kill Saul. He's not doing it. And look at part of the way he rationalizes in his mind. Verse 10. And David said, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. You see what David's doing there? David is speculating. He's like, I know that God anointed me to be king. I know it happened. The prophet came to my house, poured oil on my head, said a word over me. The Holy Spirit came on me. I also have been playing the harp for this guy for a while. I realize he's demon-possessed. I mean, I can see what's going on. Something is wrong with Saul. He's on the way out, and I'm supposed to be the next king. I got all these promises. But thus far, it's not happening. I'm an outlaw. I'm on the run. He's trying to kill me, and I just have to wait. I mean, this goes to what you said. How's it going to happen? I don't know. But he's speculating. He's like, maybe Saul will just get sick and die one day. Maybe Saul will go into battle one day and get killed, which is actually what happened to Saul. But what David is saying is, that's above my pay grade. Now, again, I want us to think a little bit, try to put ourselves in the historical context. When David walked the face of planet Earth, especially during this time period of his life, he was essentially, I think it's safe to say, he was the most important human being on planet Earth. Right, Because to be the leader of the nation of Israel, which was a theocracy, it was essentially the church of God in the Old Testament. I mean, basically it's the same as like being the president and the pope all in one. All that power. And yet David was wise enough to know, I might be the most important human being on planet Earth, but there's at least one king above me. And there are some things above my pay grade, and it's just like, you know what? I don't need to spend my time thinking about those things. I, again, I can think about them. I can speculate. This, again, it's not wrong to wonder. It's not wrong to ask. It's not wrong to want an answer. 
Where do you cross the line into sin slash worry? It's when you demand an answer. It's when you start to have this entitlement that says, I deserve to know. Because if you feel like I deserve to know and you don't know, you're going to be panicked. Well, maybe there's something I'm doing wrong. Maybe I've got to work harder or think harder or something. But if you can stay humble like David and say, you know what? I want to know God. I really want to know. And yet, remember Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29 says, the secret things belong to the Lord. The revealed things belong to us. There, there are just some things that are above our pay grade, and we just have to say, I don't know. Okay. Um, Got to work it out, but I don't know. And, and, and I am content to wait. Did any of y'all remember the magician David Copperfield? Okay, I don't even know if that guy's still alive or anything. That's just the only famous magician that, I, that might even still be alive. Okay, so hypothetically, if he's still alive, I don't even know. But imagine you maybe had seen him. Some of y'all are like, where the heck is he going with this one? Just hang with me for a second. Imagine that you had gone to see David Copperfield as a child, and you loved David Copperfield, and you watched a lot of his shows, and you were in love with David Copperfield and his magic. You were a big believer. Okay, And you take one of your children to go see David Copperfield, maybe in Nashville, and he does some trick where he's like Houdini and he puts chains on himself and he locks himself in this underwater tank. And your child is sitting there panicking like, David Copperfield's going to die. And you're like, no, he's not, buddy. Calm down. And if your child said, how do you know? How's he going to get free? How's he going to break the lock? You're like, you know, I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't know. And I don't know when. I don't know how long he can hold his breath and stay under there. I do know this. He's going to get out because he always gets out. That ought to be what the faith of a mature Christian looks like. I'm between a rock and a hard place, and I don't see any way out. But I'm convinced God's going to get me out. He's going to deliver me. Now, how's he going to do it? I don't know. <laughs> When's he going to do it? I don't know. But that's not my job to know all the how, all the when, all the why. I just wait patiently for him to come. Some of you are familiar with the poem, The Charge of the Light Brigade. Okay, it's about troops dying in battle, and there's a famous line, theirs not to make reply, theirs not to reason why, theirs but to do and die. And there is a sense in the Christian life, it's like, you know what? My job is not primarily to figure out all the reasons why. My job is just to obey God, even if it kills me. Now, it's like, that could be hard on the human level, right? It's like, we don't think that way about our employment situation. I'm just going to do whatever my boss tells me at work, even if it kills me. Right? So, like, if that's the kind of situation you're in, unless you're in the military, you, you might want to quit. <laughs> right? But with God, it's like, no, that's, that's the way it works. Father, my job is to obey. Even if it kills me, I'll press on. I'll be content. Okay. Um, second, he's happy. Because you could say, wow, okay, I can see how you call that humility. But that sounds like a miserable kind of humility. But it wasn't. I mean, he was really happy in his humility. Look at verse 2. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child of my soul within me. Now, a couple things I want us to notice here. First, this was a process. This didn't happen overnight. This was not a personality trait, right? It's not like David's like, well, you know, I took the Myers-Briggs and I just came out with I'm the humble kind of peaceful guy. Maybe you took the Myers-Briggs and yours said worry. So just sorry, you know, you're out of luck. For all sinners, we struggle with worry. Different times, ways, and capacities. But David said, I've calmed and quieted my soul. It's a process. It didn't happen naturally. I had to work at it. You familiar with Philippians chapter 4? Somewhere in 10, 11, 12, 13, Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content in all things. 
whether hungry or well-fed. And he wrote this from a prison. <laughs> so is that right? If you're living in a palace and you're like, I can be content anywhere. It's like, well, maybe so, buddy. Right? It's like when you're writing that from a prison and the whole theme of the letter is cheer up. Like, I'm happy and I'm in prison. It's like, hmm, maybe I believe this guy. But again, even Paul said, I had to learn the secret. It doesn't come naturally. So uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones has a famous sermon uh, based on Psalm 42, basically about preaching to yourself. We talked about this a little bit last week. But part of what he says, you know where the psalmist, Psalm 42, verse 5 says, Why are thou downcast, O my soul? You'll hope in God again. I mean, he's speaking not to God. He's speaking to himself. What's wrong with you, soul? Why are you worried? You shouldn't be worried. You're a Christian. It's going to work out okay. You'll hope in God again. And literally, Martin Lloyd-Jones said, it's like you have to take yourself by the scruff of the neck. Okay, this is a parenting mood sometime when you have unruly boys. Okay? It was for me at least, right? It's like I'm going to apply enough pressure so that you will listen. And then I'm going to speak to you. And what Martin Lloyd-Jones is saying, you do that with yourself. You take yourself by the scruff of the neck and you speak to yourself. Calm down, soul. Quit worrying. Trust God. Um, when you're kind of in these places of agony, how in the world would God let me suffer like this? Preach truth to yourself. Now, the illustration that he uses is really helpful. Like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. My guess is everybody in this room has at least seen a baby who's an infant and is still in the nursing mode. An infant is inherently selfish. When the infant is hungry, the infant doesn't say, well, mom's probably tired. I should let her sleep. The infant just starts screaming, bloody murder. St. Augustine said, if the infant had enough strength, it would reach up and choke the mom and demand to be fed. That's essentially what it's doing with his cries. And, I mean, if you're the dad in the situation and you pick up the infant, you know, its little head starts bobbing around looking for something to eat. It's like, I can't help you, buddy. you got to go to mom. I mean, there's, there's this intensity of desire and demand. But then a weaned child, now think about this. There has to be a process. The child doesn't get fed on demand when, anymore. The child doesn't get fed exactly the kind of food that it's used to anymore. But it learns, mom's going to feed me eventually. Not exactly what I want and not exactly when I want, but mom will come through for me. Now, a winged child. Now, again, think if this is an awkward illustration for you. It's in the Bible. So take it up with God and the Holy Spirit and David. Uh, the infant child, at some level, can't really enjoy the presence of mom just for mom. Mom is a means to an end. Mom is a milk wagon. A weaned child can be with mom and just enjoy mom for mom. Right? Because I don't just see mom as a means to an end. But think about the process that has to happen to get there. Mom has to deny some of the infant's cries. Start to teach it to like a different kind of food. And then the weaned child matures. And guys, some of the suffering and hardship that God puts us through, we're like, why are you doing this to me? He's trying to wean us. He's trying to teach us, trust me. I'm always going to feed you the food that's best for you and the timing that's best for you. But, but, but if it won't always feel like the best timing to you, it won't always taste like the best food to you, you've got to trust me. I mean, at some level, the little infant, whether it's at six months or a year or whenever, 
subconsciously, it can't articulate this, but it learns. You know what? I've never missed a meal my whole life. Mom always eventually shows up and feeds me. And for Christians, that ought to be our mindset. God always shows up. He always feeds me. I've never missed a meal. I can rest. I can wait. Um, Think about the Israelites, 40 years, wandering in the desert, fed with manna every day, every week, six days a week, and enough on Friday to cover two days. The day they walked into the promised land, the manna stopped. You ever thought about that? I wonder what that first day was like. When you wake up on Sunday morning and you're like, we go out to get manna, it's like, there's no manna. you got to go to work. you got to plant a vineyard. I mean, they, they left being a little infant, depending on mom, and they had to grow up and mature. They quit living by sight to some degree and started living by faith. Okay. So think about it with yourself. Are there places where you're like, God, why haven't you done this for me yet? I've often wondered, I wonder... How, you know, David was such a great king. He wasn't perfect. We're actually going to talk about some of that in worship this morning, okay? But humanly speaking, he was an incredible king. You read the rest of the historical books, and oftentimes what they do is they point back to David as the gold standard, right? You remember that? They're like, if they wanted to say something good about a later king of Judah, they would say, he walked in all the ways of his father David. And that meant this guy was a godly king. Or if they wanted to say he was a sinful king, they'd say, he did not walk with the Lord like his father David. David wasn't perfect, but he was great. And I think part of the reason he was great is because he spent over a decade as an outlaw, having to learn to trust God in the hardest circumstances so that when he got to the palace in the place of power, he still was trusting God. So, guys, think about it this way. What does it take in your life and my life to disturb our hope and our trust and our rest and our peace in God? And for some of us, maybe all of us, I fear it's far too small a thing. One little tiny fight with our spouse, and we're just... One person cuts us off in traffic, and we're ready to fight and scream and cuss, right? What about just a day off when you just get bored and restless? I don't like being bored and restless and lonely, God. Where are you? Why is my life more enjoyable? We need to be, I need to be more like a weaned child that says, even in hardship, when I'm tempted to worry, I'm not going to go there because I know that God's going to come through eventually on his timetable. And then three, he's hopeful. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. Excuse me, that's verse three. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. And I'm sure you all know this, okay? But the way that the word hope is used in the Bible is a little bit different than the way we use it in English. Right? I mean, some of you may have a child this week that looked at the uh, weather app on the iPhone. Said, Dad, it's getting down to the 30s, you know, Tuesday morning or something. I hope it's going to snow. It's not going to snow, right? Okay? But they have a wish. They have a desire that it snow. That's not the way the Bible used the word hope. The Bible used the word hope. It's confidence. It's I know this is going to happen in the future. And because I know that it's going to happen, I can rest now. I know that something is coming in the future that gives me confidence in the here and now so I can be peace, full of calm, don't have to worry. Okay. All right, so application. I just want us all to be thinking, my job is stay in my lane 
Be faithful with the duties that God has called me to. And really, what is that? That's just obedience today. That I am not in charge of any of the results. I've just got to be faithful where I'm at. I'll tell you all a story. So one of the, one of the uh, times when I was the most tempted to worry, one of our sons in his teenage years, who will remain nameless to protect the not-so-innocent, uh, had done the worst thing that I think he'd ever done, at least that we knew about. And, uh, and it, it came out, he got busted, he didn't confess. It, it was not good. And at first, like most sinners, certainly teenage boys, he was trying to lie and kind of cover up. So me and his mom went a little bit into attack dog slash prosecuting attorney role, you know, trying to ask him questions to nail him down to figure out exactly what had happened. In the course of doing that, some of his friends got implicated. Now, we don't tend to be the kind of helicopter micromanaging parents that are like, what are your friends doing? I'm going to call their mom, right? That, that, that doesn't tend to be where we live. We have other struggles. That hadn't been one of them. Um, but we were in an awkward situation because now we know, okay, there's five or six other guys that have been doing the same thing he's been doing. We know about some of them. I know their parents very well. Others of them, I don't know their parents at all. And so after we kind of dealt with him, there was the, what do we do? To just to be good, faithful citizens of the city, of the community, of our church, things like that. Do we tell the parents' friends yes or no? We didn't know. So, so, so we're praying, we're thinking, we're calling mentors and asking them. And you know what's great is when you ask two or three different mentors and they give you the exact same answer, right? I mean, that, that's basically the voice of God, nine times out of ten. But what about when you ask four mentors and like two of them disagree? Like, thanks for nothing, guys. And we really, we, we, we couldn't get clarity on what the right thing to do was. We were very, and our son was like, please don't do this. Please don't talk to my friend's parents. You know, I think probably his idol at that time in his life was just his friendships. He's like, I, what, I'll do whatever, right? The begging, please don't. But we're wrestling. And we get, here's where we landed. We landed on, we're going to give you 24 hours. Tell your friends. Their parents are going to know. And they can either be men and go tell their dad or I'll call their dad. And um, Here's the point I'm sharing that story. Even to this day, years later, if somebody said, do you think you made the right decision? I'm like, ah, 51%. <laughs> Not sure. But when I went to bed that night, I slept like a baby. And here's the reason why. It wasn't because I was so sure I'm a wise father. I've made a genius decision. Someone will write a book about me one day. It wasn't that at all. I went to bed thinking, I'm not really sure. I mean, literally, I'm about 51%. I think we did the right thing, but I don't know. Maybe we're wrong. But I did feel this. I've been faithful. I've done my best with what God has given me. I've talked to my wife. I've prayed. I've studied the scriptures. I've sought counsel. I've done my best. My job is not the results. My job is to do my best and then go to sleep. And I slept like a baby. Now, easier said than done, right? It took some quieting my soul, calming my soul, taking myself by the scruff of my neck. But we need to be living like that on a day-to-day basis when we're confronted with worry. And, and the idol in so many of our hearts is, it's that pride that thinks, I have a right to know. I have a right to know the outcome. I have a right to know the when and the how and the why. And we just don't. We just don't. And to the degree we can humble ourselves, it really does take a lot of the worry away. Think about the Lord Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. 
Right. And Philippians 2 says he's in heaven, he has all the privileges, but he didn't demand the right to hang on those privileges. He said, I'll let them go. Came to earth. He had questions for the Father, right? Especially in the garden on the cross. Is there any other way, Father? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He had questions. He didn't exactly get answers or certainly didn't get the exact answers he wanted. And I think, and guys, this is a little bit of speculation. I think part of the agony of the cross of Christ is there's no indication that he knew exactly how long it would last. As he suffered for us in our place, for all of our sin, for all of our worry, for all of our fear, for all of our arrogance, for all of our demanding entitlement spirit, he didn't know exactly how long it was going to last in his humanity. And that makes the suffering greater. But he went there for us. He rose again. He conquered death, hell, the grave, and he conquered our worry. He conquered our fear. And so we need to look to him, see his confidence, see his humility, see his hope, see his happiness for the joy set before him, and in a sense, let it come in our own hearts. So let me pray again. Lord, we're so unworthy of salvation. Lord, we're unworthy of every good gift you give us, even a cup of cold water. But you're so lavish, you're so generous. And sometimes, Lord, it goes to our head and we think we have a right to demand more of you. I pray that you would make us into humble, hopeful, happy people like David, like Paul, like the Lord Jesus when he walked the earth, Lord. And to the degree we fail, may we be comforted by your grace. But, Lord, when we do fail, I pray that it would be a step in the weaning process to make us trust you more, hope in you more, so that we might fight worry better the next time. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.